Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for these men that are standing. Some of them I've known a very long time, and I've gotten to know recently. But Lord, they all have one thing in common. Someone is counting on them. Some of us have multiple people. Some of us are just like you are. Lord, some in this group have said goodbye to their children, and they're on the other side of the world. Father, some have struggled in their marriage, and some have had a beautiful home. But Lord, no matter what the situation, encourage every man that's standing here today to represent you to their children, to be the leader, the spiritual leader of their family, to set the standard of what a godly man looks like. Take care of them physically, but Lord, take care of them spiritually. And bless these men that are standing. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Today, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And our theme verse will be Psalm 68, 5. But to start our idea of fatherless to fatherful, I want to play this little video. I, I, I must say, I cried my eyes out. And then I showed it to my wife, and she went, eh, that's all right. <laughs> so, we're going to start our service off with this video from Fatherless to Fatherful. Okay? <laughs>
Father for. Father's Day isn't everybody's holiday, favorite holiday. I've had to learn this over time. Because it can bring back bad memories. It can also bring back memories that have never existed. But that is never what God intended. Father is what God wants us to have. And Father is the way God wants us to approach him. The Lord's Prayer, well, if you know the Lord's Prayer, it begins with, after this manner, therefore pray you, our Father, which art in heaven. And our theme verse today of Psalm 68.5, a father of the fathers. And it's a reference of our God. It's a reference of any person who knows Christ as their personal Savior, that they can become a fatherful person, a happy father, even if in this world they don't have one. So if you're taking notes today, our Father thought is this. Our Heavenly Father fills the void and becomes our role model. Our Heavenly Father fills the void and becomes our role model. Our character that we're going to look at today is a man by the name of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. And he's going to be fatherless at age five. But he's also going to have a new father figure in David. Back up just a second there. There's some imagery that's taking place. Jonathan is a type of Christ. Joseph also in the Old Testament was a type of Christ. And when I say type of Christ, that's a theological term. But what it basically means is they role model. They give you an example of what Jesus is going to be like and what Jesus is going to do. And what Jonathan does Jonathan dies like a type of Christ. And his sacrifice is what's going to bring Mephibosheth into the kingdom of David. And I don't think I'm stretching this imagery too far because David sits on Jesus' throne. The kingdom of Israel is an example of the kingdom of God. And it's through Jonathan's death that Mephibosheth will become fatherless. But it's also through Jonathan's death that he comes into the kingdom of God. If you're here today, the only thing that will bring you into the kingdom of God, the family of God, to have God as your heavenly father, is the death of Jesus Christ. But let me say there's also another component of it. You must accept that free gift. If Mephibosheth decided, I don't want what my father did, I don't want anything, I'm going to do it on my own. We will see today that he will not only die, but he will never enter the kingdom and be where God wants him to be, where God wants him to be. Today, Jesus Christ has died for you. He has sacrificed on a cruel Roman's cross. Have you accepted? Because it is the only way into the kingdom of God. Mephibosheth, and I think we can make a good argument for this, is probably the most wrong person in the Bible. He's probably, maybe even outside the Bible, I think Mephibosheth could get a good running uh, argument that he might be one of the most wrong people in all of Earth's history. Let me give you some facts about Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth lost his father and grandfather at age five. That takes place at the end of 1 Samuel. In our study going through 1 Samuel, we're starting chapter 21 next week, so eventually in the next decade we will get to that story. But... He will lose his dad and his grandfather, Saul. He lost the use of his legs, also at age five. 
When this event of Jonathan dying and King Saul dying, a nurse trying to do the right thing, trying to take care of Mephibosheth, will grab him and try to flee and to protect this little five-year-old. But she drops him and he becomes lame. He does not have the use of his legs. We don't know exactly how that happened or what the exact cause of it is. All we know from the age of five, he lost his dad. His dad was killed at the age of five. His grandfather was killed, but his grandfather took his own life. And then he loses the ability to walk. And not only did he lose that, he lost the throne of Israel. Jonathan was his dad, and Jonathan would have been the next under King Saul to be the king. And Mephibosheth would have been the next under his father, Jonathan. Eventually, he would have also been the king. And lastly, he was lied about later on by a close family friend. He's lied. David is running for his life, and his son Absalom, this is in 2 Samuel 9. We'll get to that in the millennium. But in 2 Samuel 9, David is running for his life. These are jokes, by the way. Running for his life in 2 Samuel, and Absalom tries to take over as he leaves. And a man by the name of Ziba, who is a family friend of Mephibosheth, a man by the name of Ziba comes out there and says, Mephibosheth has sided with your enemies, and David will give all of Mephibosheth's possessions and land to, to Ziba. And David eventually finds out the truth, and it's, everything is taken care of. But there he is, lied about, betrayed by a close family friend. Look at all these things that have happened to him. And yet, he never gets bitter. What a great lesson. We can almost say amen today and walk out and go eat some donuts. But we won't. Last week, we saw this in our study of 1 Samuel 20, a covenant that is made between David and Jonathan. We looked at this last week at 1 Samuel 20, 42. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord be between me and thee, and between thy seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. That promise right there, that promise saved Mephibosheth. Promises can be hard. Last night, I got to speak at our Elevate service and talk with our young adults and our college kids and stuff. And I kind of told them this. I said, we really, all the wedding vows, I do weddings, and there's always wedding vows. You really don't need any of your wedding vows except for sickness and poverty, right? Because anybody can promise to stay married to that guy if he wins the lottery. Anybody can stay married when times are good and everybody's healthy. The, the, the wedding vow should be, do you promise to you know, help with his, his adult diaper when he gets older? Do you promise to be there when he has cancer surgery? Do you promise when he has to file bankruptcy? Do you promise when he's a complete failure in business? The vows should really be those because anybody can vow. Do you promise to have a wonderful, happy life? Oh, yes. You can make that promise. That's not a hard promise. Do you promise to, to live like Bill Gates and have all the money and billions of dollars? Anyone can make that promise. The real promise at weddings, and I'm thinking about changing my wedding plan. The real promise you should make at a wedding day, I promise to kiss you even when you have morning breath. I promise to say, you don't look fat in that even when you do. I promise to say, your hairdo looks great even when it's a disaster. I promise to choose you over my mother. Ladies. promises, and some of them are easy to keep, but some of them are hard. But in 2 Samuel 9, David will keep his promise. 
He has denied his kingdom. He is the undisputed ruler of Israel. He's the heavyweight champion of the Jews. He is the unquestionable ruler of Israel, and he wants to honor this promise right here. So in 2 Samuel chapter 9, look at verse 3. And the king said, Is there not any of the house of Saul honoring the promise he made the covenant, that I may show kindness of God unto him? And Ziba, this man will eventually betray Mephibosheth, and Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan had yet a son, which is, which is lame of his feet. Mephibosheth is brought in, in the next few verses, brought in to the king, and it would have been very common in this days to find the heir of the former king and find all of his descendants and kill them so that they could not revolt or lead an army and a group of people against you and say, well, we're the rightful heir. That was the common thing of the day. And here's Mephibosheth probably out there, probably hiding, probably distancing himself, and yet here he brought, comes into the king's place and he's probably thinking, this is the day I die. But look back here at verse 6. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said unto Mephibosheth, and who knows what's going on with him, but this is where he says, take a sword, kill this man. And he answers, behold thy servant. And David said unto him, fear not. You know, there's a lot of people who wonder how Christians can face the struggles they have and the trials they go through and be able to say, fear not. Listen, when you have Jesus, when you have God on your side, you can go through anything and say, fear not. Amen? Amen. Fear not, for I will surely show thee the kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. And I will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. And thou shalt be bread at my table continually. Do you see the connection between a believer and Jesus and entering the kingdom of God? We eat at the Father's kingdom. We are restored. He, Jesus restored what Satan took from us. Jesus restored what our own sinful decisions did in our family. And he bowed himself in verse 8 and said, What is thy servant that thou should look upon such a dead dog as I? I'd like you to notice here the humility of Mephibosheth and the grace of David. This is a picture of salvation. When a humble sinner comes before God and says, I am a sinner who can do nothing to save myself. My righteousness is filthy rags. Oh, wretched man, David was saying in Romans. This is a picture of a believer coming to the king. And this is a picture of the grace of the king bestowed upon that sinner. Can I just encourage you today, if you're here today, and, and, and you're sort of struggling with decisions you've made in the past, and your mother-in-law doesn't want to talk to you anymore. And your ex-husband's got a problem. And look, maybe even you're there today. Your kids want nothing because of decisions you've made in the past. But I encourage you today that if you come to your Heavenly Father, He will not throw you out. That when you come to the grace of God and come like Ziba, you come there and you humbly come. And what does He do? He smacks you down and brings you. No, just like David, He gives you grace. That is why grace is so amazing. This is also a picture of Mephibosheth receiving a new father's name. How many times did he ask the questions about his father, Jonathan? What was he like? 
How did he handle this? And when he talked to that nurse who probably knew Jonathan, how many times did he hear this? How many times did he hear about the adventures of Jonathan and maybe even saw and then hear about all these amazing things and then living in that culture, looking down at his legs that did not work? There were no wheelchair accessible place. There were no handicapped parking. There was nothing. And he would be taken from place to place, carried by another person. How many times did he listen to the stories of Jonathan? And you know how those stories go, right? Uh, when, when the person's alive, like when my dad was alive, he was a, a good man. And now that my father's passed away, he is an amazing man. It's amazing how many times I've been able to forget the, the things that he did that made me mad. Now it's only great things, you know? How many times did he hear those stories and then look at his bone legs and say, I'll never be like my dad? You see, he has to make a choice here today. And salvation is a personal choice. Salvation is a personal choice. Um, I said this last week, that my father would not allow foreign cars to be parked in his driveway. <laughs> and he would not allow me to own a foreign car. And foreign is anything other than Chrysler, Ford, and GM. And those of you that have parked your car in our parking lot that is not made by those three, <laughs> we, are, we are breaking into your car today and we're being towed to your express. No. I'm, I'm kidding. We're just teasing it. But anyway, <laughs> by American. And, uh, that was a big deal in my family. My father was a journeyman tool guy, worked an incredibly skilled man. Could have been an engineer. Thank God he wasn't. But could have been an engineer. Was an incredibly gifted, brilliant man. But like it. If you ever ate a Lay's potato chip with a ruffle in it from the 90s or so, my dad designed, installed the machine that put the clamp that put the ruffles in the potato chips. Single-handedly did all that. So I don't, they're probably using a different machine now, but I've got a picture of it in my office, and they, they wanted to send my dad to China. He said, I'm not going there. Ridiculous. So that my wife often asks, why don't you want to travel? Like my dad, I live where everybody wants to be. Why am I going there? But anyway, <laughs> and one of the things my dad also made me this is where some of you, you like when I say buy American cars, amen? Yeah. Now let me insult all of you GM people, because my dad was a Ford guy. And I am a Ford guy. Yes. Yeah. When we get to heaven and you drive a Ford guy. Anyways, but I, you know why I'm a Ford guy? I'm a Ford guy because my dad was a Ford guy. That's the only reason why I'm a Ford guy. There are some other people that decide to be Toyota guys or maybe GM guys, and they have stats and statistics and tell you, well, I had a friend who was a Honda guy. He drove me crazy and stuff. I had to ride in his car once, and the whole time I was just sitting there, Father, forgive me. I'm doing everything I can think of. And, stuff. and he sat there, and he gave me this 20-minute di digression or dissertation on why the nuts of Honda are better than anybody else's bolts and nuts. I'm like, you're nuts, but... <laughs> the reason I am a Ford guy is not because I weighed the evidence and made a decision. I'm a Ford guy because Bruce Sheridan was a Ford guy, and that's why I'm a Ford guy. And the Bill Mustang. And the Bill Mustang. <laughs> but I say that because so many people are Christians the same way. Why are you a Christian? Did you weigh the evidence? Did you make your own personal decision? Did you decide to accept Jesus? My dad was a Christian. My mom was a Baptist. My grandfather went to church, and so I just kind of do the same thing. You see, you can choose a car that way. You can choose a team. I'm a Tigers fan, and they're almost getting to 500. What an amazing head start. <laughs> I'm a 
so excited. I've been so excited about this season because I was expecting horrible. And they beat the White Sox last night and did a little happy dance. Anytime you beat a Chicago team, it's great. But I'm a Tigers fan. I'm a U of M fan. All of these things because of my dad. Listen, you can't be a Jesus fan. You can't be a Christian because of your father, because of your family. You have to make a personal choice. If you're faking it today, don't put off for tomorrow. Accept Jesus today. Dad, I want you to see how personal decisions impact families. Look at verse 12 now. Watch this, Father, how a personal decision of a father impacts a family. Verse 12. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba are servants of the Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. This is the fourth generation removed from Saul. Saul was a horrible, wicked man. But this fourth generation is becoming inoculated to his sin. And it all started with Jonathan's covenant and decision and David's character to accept that covenant. In a family, there's generational sins. You see it. You see a sin that goes from family to family. I, I love the fact that I'm Irish. I brag about being Irish. I, I know you wish you could be Irish too, but I love being Irish. I always ask people, hey, what are you and stuff? And my wife's 100% Mexican and I'm 100% Irish. Our kids are sort of mixed, I guess is the politically correct term. I don't know. And now we're adopting three different shades of African-American little girls. Our home is the UN. <laughs> but one of the things about being Irish, and I guess this is true, my great-grandfather was a wonderful drunk. A horrible man. Married four times around the turn of the century, and the fourth time he got married in the 30s. I mean, he, his first wife, my grand, my great grandmother, he left her with my grandfather and with my great uncle. Left her to raise nine and, and eight years old because she got TB and he didn't want to deal with it, so he took off. He went to live at a place called Lum, Michigan. Lived on a farm, being raised by a woman who took in troubled little youth, and she was a huge impact on his life, made a big impact on his faith. Her name was Belle. Yes, she's named after him. But what happened to my grandfather, he was going down the same court. And so one day, I tell this story all the time, but I don't care. My testimony is not that I was saved off of drugs. My testimony is not that I was in prison. I was in a hotel ready to pull the trigger. I was, I was in a gang. I grew up in Leave it to Beaver land. I grew up in this little, perfect little Christian home. My mom was always there. Outside of the pearls, my mom was Mrs. Cleaver. I never saw my dad drink. I never saw him use her him use profanity. He worked 80, 90 hours for his family, but yet still had time to play ball with me and my brothers and sisters. My dad was an amazing dad. My mom is the greatest person ever on this planet. I will fight you for that. I grew up in this great home. But the reason that, that I grew up in that, that's my testimony, is that my grandfather left the drunkenness, left the divorce, left the debauchery at a Highland Park Baptist church, walked in on a Sunday night, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, he accepted Christ, and his life was changed. And not only did his life change, he changed my father's life, and my father changed my life, and now I'm trying to do the same thing with my kids. My testimony doesn't start with me. My testimony starts three generations ago when somebody on a Sunday night preached the gospel, and my grandfather heard it, and everything changed from that day. 
you see, sir, how one decision by Jonathan broke the generational curse of Saul? His great-great-great-great-great-grandson here in the two graves will not be raised by a man like Saul, but he'll be raised by a man like Jonathan. You say, what broke it? Was it Jonathan's mom? Maybe. Maybe she had a big hand on it. I think we all know what broke that curse was Jonathan's faith in God. Later, that same covenant is not forgiven by Mephibosheth. I said before that David will run for his life when Absalom tries to take his throne. He gets his throne back in 2 Samuel 19.30, and it says this. And Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, let him take all, for as much as my lord the king is come again in peace of his own house. All because of one father's faith, faith, a generation was changed. Lifestyles were altered. Families were saved. One dad, one decision, our next. A fatherful life, I want to give you two things as we wrap this up, based on our study today. A fatherful life, number one, creates bonds with my family.
than Jesus Christ. Some of the greatest memories I have of my dad are watching him reading his Bible, listening to Dr. James Vernon McGee, and coming into the room accidentally and seeing my dad pray. I hope my kids say the same thing about me. One of the happiest things that happened on Facebook for me about six months ago, because we broadcast our service on Facebook. Some of you are on Facebook, but we broadcast it. And my daughter Reagan in Louisville before church, she's down there sons up at the seminary. My daughter Reagan down there watched the service. And she said, she texted me, is it on? Because I want to watch you preach today. So she watched me preach, took a screenshot, and then put it on her Facebook and just entitled it, My Favorite Preacher. She called me this morning. None of my other kids have said Happy Father's Day yet. Of course, I, I left before they woke up, but that's I say, Happy Father's Day, I love you. Oh, you can't do it again. You know what binds a family together? Is when a father becomes more than a father and becomes a brother in Jesus Christ. Mephibosheth and his father Jonathan, who died in body, were still connected with a father, a father of the faith. Number two, your father for life starts with prayer. Father for life starts with prayer. Getting something free is awesome. Sandra, a few years ago, won a contest. I, I share this again Saturday night. Kendra won a contest to enter some jazz station. A friend of ours is over online, and we entered some jazz station contest like six months later, and they called her name wrong. And so then she had to call in. People called her, and so she thought she wanted tickets, two tickets to anywhere in the world. Two tickets. We eventually turned those in. We took that money and went to Disneyland. And, and if you haven't been to Disneyland, it's like standing in line at the DMV. <laughs> Dumb enough like us to go in July, so standing in line at the DMV on the sun. But anyway, so but anyway, we did that. And it was amazing that Sandra told the kids, she gets off the phone and she tells the kids, Nathan's like six and Raymond's like nine. And she's like, we just won tickets to two anywhere in the world. The kids are screaming and having a good time. And they're doing it. And Nathan goes, where are we going? He assumed it would be him. <laughs> Love that story. You know Getting something for free is awesome. Grace that forgives all your sins and washes you whiter for snow. Grace that does that is completely free. Listen, three things about grace. Grace never asks for a payment. It's completely free. Grace is always gives you more. More than you could ever imagine. And grace that is Jesus. That is the cross. That is my heavenly father. I want to leave you today and make an impact on you. I want to encourage you today as I end this. I want you to change your family and change your destination, change everything about you. You see, what type of shadow are you going to leave, sir? What type of legacy will you leave behind? Will your children rise up and say, I was blessed to have this man in my life? Will they say he wasn't always perfect, but he followed Jesus and he did his best? And look at what God did in his life. And I'm here today because of this man. What kind of shadow will you cast on the next generation? Baseball Hall of Fame, I think it was in 1989. 
they were changing uh, how it was on the displays. And one of the curators found this picture. It was somebody had gone in there a few years before and taken this photo. It was a, uh, a minor league baseball player back in the 40s. And somebody had taken that photo and stuck it in one of the displays behind the display. And it, on the back, it said this. You were never too tired to play catch. On your days off, you helped build the little league field. You always came to watch me play. You were a Hall of Fame dad. I wish I could share this moment with you. Your son. When they put the exhibit back together, the curator at the time put the card back in. They later found this, the, the son and there's a whole bunch of news stories about it. And the curator put a little note trying to explain the circumstances to the next curator, 50 years, who might find it, and asking that curator to leave it in because this man was a Hall of Fame dad. Mm -hmm. I ask you this question.